Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. We are, you know, what we're doing Matt previewing all the teams, right? We're on Air Force Falcons today, and we are what eighty percent through. Is that about right? Oh, uh, what's five out of six? It's like eighty three point three percent. If you Sounds want to be good. precise, sure, we can be precise. <laughs> Two more after this. This is number ten overall. Ten. We are getting close to the season. Fall camps are here. We're talking Air Falcons football. It's great. Football. We're not talking other stuff. We're talking football. And Troy Calhoun, as we like Air Force, is he, if, okay, this is kind of not going off topic, but staying on topic. Is he like the most, out of all the coaches in Mountain West ever, would he be like the most successful, you think? Mostly due to longevity. Um, so are you talking about the, in, in, the, in the entire history of the conference? Yeah, he's up there, right? I mean, I think at this point he has to be because not only is he like far and away the most, you know, the longest tenured in the conference. I think uh, I'm trying to look this up as we talk. I'm pretty sure he, you know, the only coach in the history of the conference that has more wins than him at this point is Rocky Long. Yeah, I could see that. I just thought of that for a moment because I'm like, he's been around forever. And, and, barely, and really, you know, I think at the at the rate that um, he's going, all he needs is another, you know, seven or eight wins per year over the next three years to match Long and the production that he had. Um, you know, this is, I believe, year seventeen for Calhoun, and at least in terms of, I mean, I don't know how you want to say, it, maybe like the last decade or so, ever since their last one big down year in twenty thirteen. Air Force really has been, you know, maybe outside of like a, you know, a Boise State, for example, one of the more stable Consistent. models of consistency. Um, yeah. And and that was no exception last year, which, you know, a 10-win season sounds impressive until you realize that, you know, the, the Falcons were actually pretty close to true greatness. Yeah. They, when you look at who they played, like Commander-in-Chief Trophy was theirs again. They got stung by their three losses were one score less, Wyoming, Utah State, and Boise State, two on two or three on the road. Easily beat Baylor in that sub zero freezing game. Won the rock fight versus San Diego State 13 to three. They were, and it, yeah, they were close. They were right there. And, Steve and they did it in, in ways that you, you know, you, you you associate the Falcons with certain things. You know, you associate them with the, the option-based ground game. 
but it was really the defense that led the way in yeah. pretty much every respect last year. Um, you know, no matter whether you want to look at like traditional metrics or, or you know, more advanced ones. For example, you know, in terms of SP plus, for example, they were 10th overall in the country. Net points per drive on defense, they were sixth. Uh, available yards percentage per drive allowed, second overall in the country. And and I think, you know, you, know, you, you associate them with, you know, certain things. And some of those things were actually very good themselves last year, chiefly among them, Brad Roberts being the nation's leading rusher. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is a lot of optimism out there that the Falcons should be very much in the mix, you know, for a bid in this new divisionless uh, Mountain West that we have, you know, they are a pretty trendy pick to finish in the top two and compete for the title. But, you know, the, the, the challenge for 2023 is, you know, obviously, you know, like every other team in the conference, they have questions ahead of them, but they're facing such a unique combination of challenges, new quarterback, new leading rusher, whoever that ends up being, whether that's fullback or tailback, you're replacing, you know, key members of that elite defense from last year at basically all three levels of, of that defense. So I think there's, there's plenty of room for optimism, but it could just as easily be another very good season with just a little bit left on the table, depending on how well they answer some of these big, you know, challenges that they have coming into 2023 yeah we'll get to the schedule because it's not easy for what they have if you look at the entire totality of especially the second half but let's just start with quarterback Ezekiel Daniels is no longer there anymore so it doesn't like I don't say it doesn't matter who their quarterback is but it can if you want to be if they want to be really good even though we people project them to do well to be they earn some votes in the preseason top 25 so and they deserve are, it yeah, yeah, they deserve it to be there. But when it's a new quarterback, it's probably um, who's going to be boy Jensen Jones, probably. I think possibly that's potential who question mark next. Yeah, Ben Brady. I mean, nobody really well. knows yet because you know even in the in the, even in the depth chart that was released back in July, right around media days, um, you know Jones is one candidate who you know saw a little bit of playing time over the last couple of years. Yeah, but you know there are two oars you know tabbed on that position so it's either jones or ben Britton, the other guy who you know saw a handful of, of snaps as daniels is backup last year or zach larrier who you know saw a little bit of run himself was more banged up than the other two um and each of them brings something a little bit different to the table obviously larrier also doubles as a as a track athlete for the falcons and so you know, he has that speed element that's, you know, I would imagine very enticing for, for offensive coordinator Mike Thiessen as someone who's always looking for, you know, an edge and how the how that ground game can operate. If you have someone with the capacity to maybe have just a half step on, on defenders at the line of scrimmage, obviously that's a very enticing quality to have, you know, in this system. But even you know Jones and Britton have have demonstrated a little bit as a runner and a passer. I think Britton had a, you know, if I remember correctly, he had one pass attempt last year, and it was a touchdown, or maybe that was a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly. Hey, regardless, yeah, correction. Right? He had he had he had two pass attempts, but one of them was an eighty yard yeah. touchdown. Not bad. Not bad at all. So QB rating you know, obviously fifty one. 
Yeah, and I think they are probably in a position which we'll sort of yeah. um, get into in more detail when we talk about the schedule. But I do think they're in a position where if they want to take you know time into the season to, to really figure out who the guy is going to be, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing if you're looking at their September schedule. But I do think that you know, to your overall point about, you know, how do you think about replacing a quarterback in this offense? Obviously the calculus is a little bit different because, you know, you have to account for, you know, the, the different kinds of decision-making that air force quarterbacks have to make on a snap by snap basis. And that was something that Daniels was very good at. You know, he was a, a pretty prolific runner, all things considered, you know, in his career ended up averaging five yards per carry. So, that was an element of the offense that it's going to be a pretty high bar for whoever wins this job to try and replicate. Because we know that, you know, when it comes to throwing the ball down the field, obviously they're going to stretch the field. I believe Daniels also had the the highest average depth of target of, uh, of any quarterback in the conference. And it wasn't even close. It was 15.6 uh, <laughs> yards per target uh, on average. And so, you know, we know that whoever wins the job is going to be responsible for doing that in a number of times per game. But it, it is going to be that decision-making, which is really hard to quantify, and that ability as a runner, which Daniels, you know, very clearly had and and, and benefited from, same as they did before him with Donald Hammond third. You know, it's those yeah, two they- things that it's, it's really hard to just look at the numbers and say, okay, well, you can expect this or that or the other thing. Yeah, because it's super quick. Like, you're right, like, you're it's different than a decision to pass to this guy or that guy you're running for your i was like thinking the speed up sure to the side okay do i take it do i pitch it when do i pitch it do i wait till I'm, my legs are being when a guy tackles me around the ground i'm falling do i toss it like it takes like it's very precision based but then again it's also okay kind of uh stuck you want to suck everybody to you then get rid of the ball at the very 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 last second yeah. that's what makes the offense good like oh this guy's running, they'll tackle him by the legs. He's falling, he's going to the ground. They're like, oh, I'll just do a quick toss or do some toss. That's why in defenses can't just suffocate the ball carrier when, he, when they go wide, particularly when there's a guy flanking them to get the ball potentially. So that's mm-hmm. where he needs to realize, okay, I'll just go down. I'm fine because that guy's covered. Or I will get, toss the last second. Or one of my favorite plays is a shovel pass. If you have a, if you run, that's why they always run so vertical or so parallel against the offensive line or the line of scrimmage. You can do the um, shovel pass to the guy on your inside to whoever's at. So there's, it just, it's a lot of thinking all at once, like within half a second. And you're right. Like just because he player backup QB did this doesn't mean they'll do it next year with the full-time reps. So I think one thing that's going to be one, one thing that's going to be very interesting is, you know, for as successful as, as Zeke Daniels was, you know, one thing that sort of caught my attention in reviewing for this particular podcast is that at least according to Pro Football Focus, you know, he had a big time throw percentage of 6.6% last year, which actually ranked third among Mountain West quarterbacks with at least 100 attempts. And that sounds good until you realize that the two years prior, he had a big time throw rate well above 10%. You know, two years ago in 2021, it was actually at 13%. Year before that, it was at ten point five. So it it almost makes you wonder whether you know the passing game as a whole maybe left a little something in terms of that you know fifty fifty, you know stretching the field, uh, you know element that that they have, 
And I think if you're looking for a way to sort of couch it, you know, you realize that his completion percentage, despite the fact that he averaged, you know, over 10 yards an attempt, was actually a shade under 50%, 48.2. Yeah, not, not great. I mean, I mean, it's it's probably fine given how infrequently they throw the football. You know, he still only threw the ball like six times a game on average. But I do think that, you know, whoever wins that job, like it, all it's going to take is one more 20 or 30 yard throw per game to turn that around. But I'm interested yeah, to that, see, you know, if if someone emerges who can who can do that and recapture what they had you know, between 2020 and 2021. I think ultimately they'll be fine there. But I think you're right. Like if they're going to be like, again, if they're going to go to the title game, they have to have some sort of passing in like we've seen. So Ultimately, they'll be. It's hard with the new quarterback. I'm trying to remember how good like Daniels was or Donald Hamlin or even Tim Jefferson when they were the first time starter. But I think with what they run in practice, what these guys, all the reps they get, and how the offense is going to be, they'll be ultimately fine. But fine may not be good enough if they want to win a conference title. Yeah. So it's so. obviously one of the major narratives anywhere in the Mountain West. But I do think that they are. At least, like, I think it is probably a little bit easier if you just look at the traditional stats for an Air Force quarterback to fight regression than it would if someone, you know, replacing, oh, yeah. you know, someone like Jake Hayner at Fresno State, for example. Those are very yeah, so, different shoes to fill there. Yeah, so I think they'll be fine. So running running backs, like you mentioned, Brad Roberts gone, 1,700 yards, 17 touchdowns, 345 carries wild. I'm assuming, we assume it'll be John Lee Eldridge who'll be the main guy. Because also they may not necessarily have a fullback because Air Force can kind of uh, vary when they have fullbacks. Depends. Because that's what Brad Roberts was. They had Jacoby Owens before. Just kind of depends if they're going to have a traditional fullback. They're still going to have all the running backs back there. It just depends like mm-hmm. a beefy guy taking the lead block or whatever to do the fullback dive. But John Lee Eldridge, seven, over seven and a half yards of care. Really good. He's going to be their breakout guy. Get probably lead the team in rushing. One thing which happened just last week. You see the what fullback Emmanuel Mitchell is no longer on the program because he didn't get a turn back. Oh, uh, yeah, I did see that. So that's he would have been their fullback, and he was fine last year. He had, what, two, 250 yards approximately. So that's kind of a concern that you don't have an experienced player gone because now that leaves Eldridge as only the uh, top four rushers, only one returns of him. Obviously, so that takes away some depth there or even experienced but they do have, I guess, Omar Fata could be the, probably be the next guy in line, the fullback. So they have one back for sure, Matt, which we know. I believe Fata graduated, it. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I clicked. I just checked right here. Um, I can double check. I thought he's... Hmm. Well, look and see real quick. Let me do this on the fly because I went to... Uh, let's just click and see if he's still there for us because it looks like he was. Um, maybe he did. I apologize. So my website took me to 2023 roster. Never mind, he's no longer there either. So it's even one fewer player they have on the roster. So my mistake on that. For some reason, my what I clicked on said he's on the roster for this year. So, but if he's gone, you have um, what was it, Burke Owen maybe or own excuse me, Owen Burke? I don't know. Jet Harris. What, what you have is a lesion of potential. Yeah, that's, that's how that's how it usually is. It that's how it usually is at Air Force. And it, yeah, I think it helps that it, you know, Eldridge at tailback and and. And as Brighaman reported throughout the offseason, you know, in spring practice, they they had him in something they called the super back position. Ooh, I like that. Which, uh, you know, apparently on occasion it's called super back, but it's actually, you know, spending time at fullback. So that's that's an interesting wrinkle that, you know, fans might want to keep an eye on, you know, early in 
early in the season where you know what kind of a role they choose to deploy him in. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned Owen Burke as, as one candidate, and he did have 16 carries last year. He played in six overall games. And the one thing to remember about this Falcons team is they they tend to find ways to give a ton of guys at least a little bit of opportunity. And that's that's no less true of, of the guys who are back for this year. So even if none of them out, outside of Eldridge the third had a ton of playing time last year, you know, Sioni Angolau is there. Burke is there. Aiden Calvert is still there. Uh, Jet Harris, uh, Jalen Johnson, any number of those guys could step up. And 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 I think it is it's important to couch all of this to say that I think the expectation that any one guy is going to replace Roberts is probably asking a no. bit much. Yeah, that's not going to be the case. But I but I do think alternatively that it is fair to expect at least a good amount from guys like Burke. Um, in Angolau and Harris in particular, you know, two of whom are, are also listed on that depth chart at the fullback position. So I think it is likely that that trio is at least going to get the first crack at replacing Roberts collectively. And so, you know, even if none of them are, are necessarily the nation's leading rusher, I think in the name of the game, year in and year out, just keep the efficiency train rolling. Yeah, I, and I think to keep that going, it starts the offensive line where three full-time starters are back, a couple of guys who played a decent amount last year. And I always find, find it funny. I looked at PFF the other day. Here's the top 10 offensive lines in college football. How is Air Force never in the top 10 preseason? They don't win the gym. That's an excellent gym? question. Because is they are the one of the best offensive lines in the country. Yeah, is it the Jim Moore Award or something? Because Michigan keeps winning that award for some reason. Joe Moore Award. Joe Moore, sorry. Like, not to disparage the Wolverines, but I'm um, I'm saying, like, look how well this Falcons rushing offense does year after year. They need to be better, considered better and more highly. Besides the people who you're, know, like you're not, know. you're not wrong. Especially last year, you know, by by a lot of the traditional metrics, and and this is you know outside of just averaging five point three yards per carry, which is know, good as a itself. team, that's exactly where you want to be with the Falcons. And 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 yet the same token, you know, they also had a stop rate allowed of only eleven point three percent. That was third in the country, and you know all of the all of those you know, numbers that you would expect them to thrive by, you know, power success rate. You know, so there's their their how well they did in short yarded situations. Eighty point four percent. That was ninth in the country. Fifty three point five percent opportunity rate. So like those runners, you know, mostly Elders and Roberts were getting to the second level. That was sixteenth in the country. I think if there's one hang up. Which, which sort of caught my attention late in the research that I was doing. They gave up a lot of sacks over the last two years, which I didn't yeah, realize because I, I went back and and was sort of tried to gauge what their pass protection numbers looked like going back further than just recent history. So like, for example, in, in 2021, they gave up an 8.9% sack rate. That was 115th in the country. Last year, it was 125 which was 129th, but the, like the two or three years before that, the Falcons were basically top 10 in terms of sack rate allowed. And so maybe some of that had to do with Daniels holding the ball a little too long, you know, whatever the case might be. I do think that if you're looking for what separated some of those, you know, really vintage Falcons offensive lines with guys like Parker Ferguson and Nolan Loffenberg and those guys, I do think pass protection is maybe a, at least a yellow flag. That, that I would imagine the coaching staff is, is trying to emphasize correcting 
heading into the fall. Yeah. yeah, they had 12 last year. And look at the amount of care throws they had. It's about one every seven drop back. Yeah, which, that's what I'm saying. 12.5% is one of every eight. Yeah. Yes. Oh, one of it. Yes. Some, I just did math top my head. I didn't have that. But that's for if you're throwing the ball 40 times, that's miserable. If you're throwing 12 times a game or whatever, eight times a game, that's one a game, which basically what it was last year. I don't know if that's that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like, because yes and no. It's, you know what I mean? Because yes it's like, and yeah. no. I mean, not in the, not in the sense that, like, you know, we, we talked about Typical. it, I think, most extensively with like Colorado State, for example. Yeah, it's different. You know, their, their offense was, you know, vastly different. They were counting upon Clay Millen for a lot more, you know, as far as, you know, pushing the ball down the field. But, you know, when Air Force wants to throw, like they are choosing their spots most of the time. And, you know, very play. wisely. So it, it's either that they simply were wasting those opportunities or alternatively, like when they have to throw to rally to come back from a deficit, you know, they were, you yeah. know, cutting their own legs off at the knees in that regard. Yeah. And so I, I do I, think that I was just going to say that, you know, the fact that they have three new starters back is, is uh, or excuse me, three starters back from last year is definitely a plus, but it also helps that the guys who were likely to take on the the starting roles that have been vacated um, by Everett Smalley, who I, I do think is maybe going to be a potentially big loss. But at the same token, Adam Karras had eight starts last year. So, you know, he got plenty of reps. He's probably going to be fine in that role. And then they also have three other players. You know, Caleb Holcomb might be the best offensive lineman anywhere in the conference. Mm. You know, last year he had an 87.5 overall PFF grade. That was number one among linemen in the conference. And then also bringing back Thor Paglia along and uh, Wesley Andago in the interior, you know, that I would imagine is going to bode pretty well for whoever is, you know, manning full back dive from play to play. So I do think they have a lot going for them, especially with the starting experience that they have coming back and being elevated into new roles. But I do think I, that I think protecting the quarterback a little more with a little more frequency is going to be one of those, you know, hidden X factors for this team. Yeah, because think about it. you mentioned what was his a dot fifteen yards per attempt last year. Oh yeah. If if you have nine sacks instead of twelve, like half a sack less a game, that that's a big difference when all their passing plays are big plays. So it it can make it's like numbers can be deceiving a little bit. Like the numbers aren't wrong when you break it by percentage, but it's also oh I'm a hundred percent on fourth down. I went one for one. Cool. Okay, where is that getting you? I know it's an extreme example, or you're zero for one on something. But I do think you're right. When they they pick their spots to throw, they want to get a big play. If they can just give up just a couple fewer, like ten yards per catch per pass completion. So if you have three fewer sacks a year, that's thirty something yards. Who knows what that'll be? Could be like that's a minimum. A, yeah, exactly. And thir- and ten yards in a game could be a field goal or something. So who knows? But it'll be fine regardless. But yeah, it's one like a yellow flag minor cleanup area. So wide receiver group, it's always interesting, just because. The top guy may have like 20 catches for like 400 yards or something. And it should be noted, the only position change on coaching staff was wide receivers where Taylor um, Stubblefield make his second return to the program. So everything mm-hmm. else on the offense stays the same, which is big. So Thiessen, obviously, OC, all the other coaches are intact. So And bringing back a guy in Stubblefield who's done it before will just kind of help that cohesiveness a bit because Troy Calhoun's been there for what, 17 years, we said earlier. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's a surprise, like, oh, what are we running here? Stubbs double field, like, hmm, what type of route are we doing? My guys are catching how many passes a game or <laughs> third two. He's he's familiar with what's going on. 
And there's always going to be a guy where, like I said, they'll have 20 catches, 400 yards. Like just looking at last year, leading receiver, if I can, if I can pull it up here, I'm having issues at the moment. Well, they're two. Uh, they're they have to replace their two leading receivers. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah, yeah. You know, David Cormier and Amari Terry only combined for roughly 600 yards receiving. But again, you're only talking about 22, you know, combined receptions between yeah. them. And and most importantly, you're talking about a pair of guys who averaged almost 27 yards a catch last year. It's pretty good, I think. You know, relative to recent history, you know, they've often had one guy who's been able to stretch the field like that, but it hasn't plus, been yeah. that often that they've had two guys that could do that. Like it, it wasn't like, you know, 2019 level. You know, when they had, you know, Gerard Sanders and Benjamin Waters just going off all year long. Yeah, that was crazy. But, it's, you know, but at the same token, you know, Cormier and Terry very much did their jobs when they had the occasion to do so. And so it's it's not the most important element to be replaced in this offense. But, you know, you know we're, if this offense doesn't have it, you know, that has a cascade effect on, on the efficacy of the, of the ground game. And so I, they, you know, they do need to find someone who can do that job. Um, but I, you know, I would say just as importantly, you know, obviously in this run heavy offense, you need wide receivers that can block. And the fact that they have Dane Kinnaman coming back from an injury as perhaps the best blocking wide receiver anywhere in the Mount West, you know, that could be a huge plus for them. And the fact that they were able to break in someone like Caleb Rillos at tight end when Kyle Patterson was hurt last year, you know, he got, you know, a number of starts under his belt. You know, he's got that position pretty much, you know, at least the starting role pretty much sewn up. So then you turn your attention to, okay, well, who's going to be that guy that can average 25 yards a catch? Because, you know, it might be Brendan Engel, who got, I would say, the most run, you know, snaps wise of anybody last year. Only three catches for 40 yards, but you know, he was out there. Kate Harris was out there. He had a couple of catches. Um, and you know, other guys might pop into the conversation as well. You know, Kid and Alexander had some snaps. I believe Wyatt Wilson saw some playing time over the last couple of years. But you know, they they're definitely gonna need someone to hit in that sort of field stretching role. Yeah, and we'll just kind of like the backup running back is TBD. There'll be somebody. Because historically, they have one guy about 20 yards of play. Mm-hmm. So it will be. Yeah, and it's also interesting, too, because, you know, one thing that we haven't really seen that much over the last couple of years is a wide receiver who could run the ball. Yeah, jet sweep type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, they haven't really had that since Brandon Lewis left town back in 2020. And and so I'm interested if, if maybe they are working to find someone who can have that role as well. Yeah, because I think that if you're looking for ways to sort of, you know, keep this offense iterative, always evolving and and trying to stay one step ahead of the competition, you know, if you're not sure what you're going to get at fullback, you know, finding someone who can take that, you know, sort of end around, um, you know, you know, for 10 or 15 yards or something like that could also be very important to their success. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If they mix it up a little bit, why not? Just They've done it before and it could be something that's, as like an as needed basis yeah so we'll see all right so what do we say about the defense because last year like you mentioned their defense is really really like really good last year they were elite elite and 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 i I wonder how many people noticed not enough apparently and 
I think the, you know, the, the upside, if you're a Falcons fan is that they, they've got most of the guys coming back. You know, I believe they have eight or nine starters back from a year ago. And, you know, that's despite, you know, losing a couple of, of players to graduation, losing, you know, in the off season, some to injury, some to the transfer portal. So they've obviously set a very high bar. But you know they they have enough coming back that they just might make it again. And I think if you look at the, if you start up front, you know you recognize that you know along the defensive line, the only new player that looks like or they might be in line for a larger role is someone like PJ Ramsey, who's stepping into one of those defensive end spots. You know, opposite yeah. uh, you know Peyton's droid, who you know was another cadet. We uh, you know I would be shocked if we went back a year ago that we mentioned him uh, in this team podcast last year. But you know, he popped up. He had you know ten tackles for loss, ten and a half, I believe. Um, oh no, he had ten. Excuse me. You know, he's back. Jaden Thiergood next to him. You know, ten games, seven TFLs, and a sack and a half. He was pretty good in his own right. And then they have Bill Richter sort of taking that Vince Sanford role on the outside. You know, as a sort of defensive end slash hybrid, you know, linebacker, whatever you want to call it. You know. He was in the linebacker mix last year. He had five TFL, five and a half TFLs. So there are, you know, some equally you know, big roles to fill here up front, but they might have the talent to to pull that off. Yeah, like they because they also run that four two five defense a bit, so it's a little different. Yeah, it's like four two five, three three five, depending on the look yeah. from play to play. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a hybrid type situation. Those looks are always interesting and fun because they're always like they're just um what was going to say just different like so they can give you different looks so maybe mm-hmm. if, like say it could be a four man front but only three down linemen or they can mix it up and do different things that's always something you could um look at to say okay who are they playing and what do they what do they want to attack like what's their point of emphasis on this play so even if they are like like legit they're not going to be top 10 defense again that seems unlikely if they're if they drop to the top 30 defense that's still like really 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 good and probably the best in the conference And so looking at what they can do up front, got like getting the quarterback in the, the like you mentioned, they had what 10 what was it 10, 10, TF, 10 TFLs last year. I just think mm-hmm. them playing as well as it did last year. And it's not just last year, the past couple of years. Cause normally I remember a couple of years ago, who was it? Like they, they had some really good guys in the secondary, like a couple all American candidates, all first team all mountain West. It's not just that anymore. They're getting guys up front, which is hard because if you're at the Academy, there's a size it does the size fit the size to wear the uniform essentially to fit in the box mm-hmm. of guys that aren't gigantic. You're like their nose tackle is not 300 pounds unless somehow they get to Academy and they just grow to 300 pounds. Cause a couple of guys do that. So they overtake with speed. And so that's why I like the um, four t- with the, if they go four down three down, whatever it may be their speed is what can offset their size, which similar to their offensive line where they're so quick. And that's why the option can go so well. Cause they're a little bit slender. So these defensive ends can just, blast off the line and beat the beat the uh the, sorry the tackle left right tackle whoever it is or they can get that first step and go up the gap between the center and guard and they're not fast enough to get them and that's one big advantage they have to make up for these guys who are big but not typical fbs big mm-hmm. and that's why i like i always like about the defense right because that's that's always fun to watch like these guys these guys look just a touch smaller but they're so much faster than the lumbering left guard from school x or whatever <laughs> Well, a case in point, you know, if you if you want an exemplar of that, at least from last year, 
look at a guy like td blackman yeah who was maybe underappreciated when he was healthy and especially last year when he you know from from the inside linebacker position had 68 total tackles nine and a half tfls that kind of production might be difficult to replace but again you know they have players who've seen you know plenty of reps over the last couple of years who are ready to step up and, and replace that production, I think, if everything goes their way. So, like you look at a guy like Alec Mock, for instance, you know, one fewer tackle, you know, 60 or excuse me, a few fewer tackles, 65 altogether, five TFLs, three pass breakups, and a sack. You know, between him and, and uh, Jonathan Youngblood and and Canby Goff as sort of that roving safety linebacker, I think they call it the spur in their in their starting lineup. Between that trio, like that, you know, they might have a linebacker unit that's as good as any anywhere in the conference. And, and they also have Jaden Goodwin, who also knows how to play that spur position. He had 58 tackles, five pass breakups, and three TFLs last year as well. I think the main concern for the middle of defense is just a lack of proven depth behind that group. So if they do get banged up, we don't necessarily know as much of what we might get from the guys behind them, guys like Elijah Sanders or uh, Osara Ahi and uh, and Julian Williams. Yeah, that's because, and that's what they're going to need because when we get to their schedule, you'll see why. But every year, late in the year, not a reason they stumble. But again, it goes back to the size thing, the demand on campus, where they just little small injuries can hurt them more than other teams due to depth and size. And so that's if they can keep those guys as healthy as possible, which health is an issue for every team, potentially good or bad. But Air Force, it could sometimes hit them bigger with guys who are just uh, – it's tougher when you're doing 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., taking a million credit hours and playing football as well and got to stay within the range. Mm-hmm. Again, if they're healthy and good, it's like Mock is amazing. These guys are potentially all-conference-type players are in that mix to be – uh, second team guys in the defense again defense would be great it's just it's like most teams oh my, my number ones are great number two eh, we'll see some schools yes some schools no but at least the air force overall has 10 guys who at least started one game on defense last year returning so it's just keeping those guys healthy in the middle of the field the light linebacker again i guess i guess one thing matt that could help with the uh, depth wise if that's any concern maybe they realize and run the four two more often like they don't they put one less linebacker and put a defensive end or safety or DB on the field instead to kind of help them out. That's one way they could potentially limit um, any exposure they may have if there's any sort of uh, whether fatigue, injury, or depth issues for talent. So that's kind of a workaround. Well, and like that's why I'm interested in, in how they how they choose to deploy Goff and Goodwin in particular. There's because something. on that depth chart, you know, and, and it was sort of interesting seeing the interplay of last year's you know depth chart versus last year's game by game starters because if I remember correctly, Goff was always listed as an outside linebacker on the depth chart. But he never really plays that. <laughs> but he was always he was always listed ultimately as a starter at safety. That's why it's weird. But that's, because, but that's because stuff, he plays like, that sort of crucial role that you know that you know, what, you know the the equivalent of the Aztec or the Lobo role. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Rover guy played plays either linebacker or DB. So it's like yeah, and, and Goodman tackle. plays that role too. So I'm I'm interested to see whether or not you know. You know, how much playing time Goodwin gets, you know, to sort of let Goff roam in the defensive backfield, which you know, if he does, you know, the the plus for Air Force is that they might have the best safety tandem 
You know what? I'm gonna I'm not gonna couch that. I think they do, do have it. the best Say safety it. tandem in the Mountain West <laughs> between he and Trey Taylor, both of whom are very very good and deserve your attention. Oh, yeah, they're, they're they're like the secondary. Like I mentioned, like I'm Anthony Wright, the third a couple years ago, they've been getting good DBs the past four to six years, and that's kind of been stable. It's great. And one thing that really made them successful last year, even though you know they they weren't like top of the conference by a lot of traditional metrics. You know, they gave up a, a 58.4% completion rate. I think that was like fourth or fifth in the conference, if I remember correctly. Um, and and 7.1 yards per attempt was closer to the middle than anything. Yeah. But they That's also fine. faced the they also faced the fewest pass attempts anywhere in the conference. And, and some of that has to do with the competition that they face, you know, namely Army, Army Navy. and Navy, which we'll get to in a moment. So it does skew things just a little bit. But I do think that one wrinkle that could potentially trip them up this year if, if they're not careful is the fact that, you know, while they do have very high quality safeties, cornerback is still something of a mystery because Michael Mack transferred. He's at Wisconsin now. Ion Castingay, you know, I believe had a knee injury in spring camp. He's out for the season. And now all of a sudden, you know, the main guy left who had, you know, some starting experience last year is Jamari Bellamy. You know, he played four games when both of those guys were banged up. So it's not like he's coming into that, you know, that position cold, let's say. But they're going to be counting on a lot of new guys who haven't necessarily seen the field a lot to replace them. And I think, you know, according to this depth chart that I'm looking at, Corey Collins and Trey Williams are most likely to get first crack at doing that. So there's going to be one potential hindrance. Because you know both Mac and 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 Castingay were pretty pretty good, you know cornerbacks. I believe they combined. I'm trying to remember. I should have written this down. How many uh, pass breakups they combined for last year? But the idea being that you know this was a secondary that you know didn't necessarily get thrown at a lot, and some of that had to do with the talent. Some of that had to do with the opposition. You know Mac, for example, had three pass breakups, and I believe Castingay had three himself. So the you know the the that duo that's getting replaced had a very active hand in in sort of discouraging opposing passing games. So it's going to be on Collins on on uh, you know Taylor and everybody else in that secondary to sort of uphold that standard collectively. Ultimately, I think they'll be okay. They will be challenged quite a bit because when we get the schedule, yes, Army Navy always on this on the schedule. New FBS teams, Sam Houston State, probably won't be too much of a threat. But when they're playing Utah State, San Jose State, um, CSU, Hawaii, Boise State, a good chunk of schedule, they'll be tested early enough. They'll have a couple of games early on. Utah State will throw nothing, not nothing more than not not Hawaii run and shoot, but Cooper Lagoth will sling the ball quite a bit. So they'll be hmm. challenged in the first month of the season, a couple games here and there. So it's not like some schedules are like, okay, they play a majority of teams that are going to run the ball, not an elite passing, but Hawaii's going to throw a ton. Hawaii will probably throw a ton. CSU with Clay Millen, they'll have plenty of tiny teams that will throw the ball. So it will be an area to watch. So that just means a front line, whatever needs to get after QB and just kind of disrupt that way. Just make it hmm. simple on the DBs and the cornerback specifically. Because safety's great, but cornerbacks, you're that one-on-one coverage. you got to Take care of business. And this is where Goff or whomever plays that fifth DB might kind of shadow or shade or zone that maybe one of the corner, if they're not doing main coverage, 
kind of assist a little bit. Like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, whatever, just hanging out center field zone coverage. Oh, I'm going to hang out this side. This is the best receiver to help out a little bit here or there. And he'll be in a position where, oh, they're not passing? Okay, follow the ball and tackle. If not, they're going to assist in a cornerback uh, defense. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be – the way they've been doing the past couple of years, they'll be okay. Because if you have strong, great safety, it's like, okay, cornerbacks could be an issue. But it's still, overall, the secondary is going to be above average. It's just mm-hmm. new cornerbacks. There's a concern there potentially. I guess we'll see. We will see. So what do you got about what do we what do we have for special teams for the Falcons? They do play altitudes that help their kicker a lot because I've heard if you're higher, the ball floats a bit more easier. <laughs> well, you know, Matthew Dayport you know, was 16 of 21 on field goal attempts last year, did have three see? kicks of over 50 yards. So you might be on something right. there. there. I could be. I've seen he's, been, he's been do that. <laughs> he's been pretty solid. Like he's you know, he's been the kicker. I think this is his third year. Um, holding down that position and there's really no reason to think that you know maybe he's not as prolific as like a Jonah Dalmas or uh or a Jack Browning or something like that but he's very much a credit to what this offense needs from him um and I think that's also true of Carson Bay who you know this is obviously Air Force isn't one isn't an offense that's often inclined to you know punt any more than is absolutely necessary he only had 31 punts last year and so even though he only averaged 37.6 yards per punt, probably not necessarily a bad thing because the Falcons are usually more inclined to just push the envelope challenge on fourth downs if the odds look correct. Yeah, it's like fourth and four, and they're at the 40-yard line. They're going for it. Yeah, exactly. It, it, so it's they punt when needed. So you're right, when it's 37 yards per punt, it could be, okay, we're at midfield and it's fourth and seven, and we're not going to risk that. Mm-hmm. And then a 37-yard punt pins them inside the 15. So, all right, ready for schedule time? Let's do it. Let's open up with the FCS minute, Matt. Robert Morris, How I have a question. This game's at home. Why is it kicking off at 11 a.m. local time? Do you have any clue? It's kind of weird. You know, I'm, I'm almost certain that the season opener in Colorado Springs usually is a daytime kickoff. No, but 11 a.m. local is kind of weird. Well, you know, you got you to... You gotta get up bright and early anyway. If you're out there at the academy, right? I guess so. even on Saturdays you get up early. I don't know. Don't they get to sleep? In I mean, I mean, if least? you're at the academy, if you're in Colorado Springs, you might, you know, by the time 11 a.m. rolls around, you've probably been up for like five or six hours anyway. You already had lunch and you're working on your first, your second snack of the day. There you go. So this game's also an altitude of people are wondering. It's got picked up locally in addition to the Mountain West Network. If you're outside of the footprint, so I'm not sure. Am I in neck of the woods? If it's a TV game or streaming, but for you, Matt, you definitely streaming. But for sure. So, what does Robert Morris bring to the table here for the FCS team coming to town? So, for being brutally honest, the answer is not much. So, I like the ear. Dominant victory, game one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is probably that should be the expectation because you're talking about a Colonials team that was 0 11 last year. Oh, um, you know, opened the year with a pair of one-score losses to Dayton and Delaware State. But, you know, the major problem that they faced was, you know, in terms of overall SP Plus among FCS teams, uh, they finished 128th overall, only scored 20 points in two games all season long. This is going to be a long day. Yeah, which is, two, you know, three, which four, is a shame because they, they do have some... <laughs> I was going to say, on. they do have some nice pieces on defense. You know, they have a pair of linebackers, Joe Casale and Tony Brown, um, you know, both of whom are, you know, at least for the Big South, all conference caliber type athletes. 
you know, Caselli in particular was maybe the best overall defender on this team last year. Mm-hmm. 69 total tackles, 11 tackles for loss. Good pick. But, you know, this is also uh, a team that, you know, still has to settle what they're going to do at quarterback. And they were not particularly good at throwing the football last year. Only completed 49.4% of their passes. Um, but unlike Air Force, averaged under five yards in attempt. <laughs> so six, you were absolutely Six players right. threw a pass. Six players. It's gonna be. It's. Gonna, I'm sure it's gonna be a very lovely day in Colorado Springs for a huge Falcons romp in Week yeah. One. I want to bring this up real quick. They were sacked 36 times last year. Yeah, it's about three. Not great. So, no, and about almost uh 16, 18 interceptions. So they're gonna win easily. Then they play Sam Houston State. Um, did you notice where this game's being played? Is it in Huntsville now? I thought it was in Huntsville. Or is it in Houston again? It's still F. Okay, let me check the Air Force website. Looking at FB schedule, it has it at NRG Stadium, home of the Houston Texans. I was getting conflicting information about that all offseason long. We were. I I thought we settled this. So I'm going to the Air Force official website. You go to Sam Houston State and we figure this out here. But I think it could be ready. It could be in Huntsville where they did. No, because we talked about it. Because they have the giant statue of Sam Houston, which is abnormally tall for some reason. No, apparently it is in Houston. Go figure. Oh, it is. Okay. It is an NRG Stadium. Okay. Well, there you go. It's on CBS Sports Network. So, hey, I'll tell my brother to go to go to that game because he lives in Houston still. So, go check out the Falcons and Bearcats. So, for those who are unfamiliar, this is not an FCS minute because St. Houston State is no longer in the FCS. They are now first-year Conference USA team. And the most familiarity for people in the conference, who was it? Was it Bob DeBoe, who's a former head coach, came to Mexico to run the unique run option style under Bob Davey. That was quite successful until it wasn't. And they typically been a pretty good FCS team, like going to the playoffs, deep run, scoring lots of points, but they weren't quite that good last year. So this will be another big transition for them going up against, uh, obviously air force team is going to run for like a thousand yards. It seems like. Yeah. They're, they're definitely coming to the FBS ranks at a very interesting time because as you may recall, it was only, two years ago when when the fcs played their spring season that this same team won the national title Mm -hmm. and and even the year after that they went 11 and 1 in 2021 but fell off were only five and four last year some of that had to do with you know some defections you know some of that had to do with you know transitioning to fbs which if memory serves meant that um and i remember reading this correctly and there's probably listeners out there who could correct me but they were ineligible for the postseason last year because they were transitioning to FBS. And so even heading into last year, there were some, some championship contributors who had moved on, you know, because of that impending move. And so, you know, they're moving to CUSA and they do have quite a bit back, even despite being right around 500 last year. You know, the major question is, you know, how prolific are they going to be on the ground? Because this you know, this is a not particularly strong passing team, you know they do have you know both of their quarterbacks last year who who threw at least uh, fifty passes, including their leading passer Keegan Shoemaker, only completed forty six point six percent of his throws, six touchdowns, five interceptions, but that's not really the strength of where this offense wants to be. It wants to be on the ground, and in that way, you know you have Shoemaker who you know only two hundred fifty yards, but he averaged over five yards a carry. That'll play. Same with Zach Herbacek, you know, uh, you know, 495 rushing yards, but 5.8 yards per carry. That'll play too. 
I think the major question for them is, you know, how are they going to adjust on defense in particular to, you know, you know, not only offenses like Air Force, but, you know, now all of a sudden you're going into a conference that's going to have like, you know, Western Kentucky that knows how to score points. You know, Middle Tennessee Coastal. can put up points every so often. Yeah, yeah Coastal. Yeah. You even, you know, even teams like UTEP and, and Middle Liberty. Tennessee often have a little bit of juice. So, which is not to say that they don't have you know players who could step up you know they do bring back both their um, leading tackler from a year ago uh, including linebacker Kevin Gaithen 79 tackles nine TFLs and three sacks but again I think given you know Air Force's track record given you know I think their talent on paper I would expect them to go on the road and win this one I did as well. Um, the quarterback situation is also not great either. I do think you mentioned defense may not be great. They only get, they gave up fewer than 20 points in their last handful of games. So it gets FB, FCS competition. So defense could preside some resistance, but I, I still think Air Force should win by a couple touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Then they, and then here's where the schedule gets weird. Like we'll get overall, but they play actually, Utah State the following game on a Friday night. So they had to travel back home, play in a short week after playing a night game, and then they play back-to-back Friday night games. So they'd have a weird schedule because they obviously commander in chiefs. Their next month is non is, is conference games from Friday, September 15th, Friday, September 22nd. They get extra day to take care of uh, to play San Diego State. Then they get a while meet after a bye week. Utah State's going to be an interesting game because it'll be a real test of an actual FBS team that's been around with a good quarterback in Cooper Lega. Um, but Utah State has their own issues with million. If we mentioned million transfers going to the Big Twelve, to a lot to BYU. It's at home, which is good. I I'm trying to think what happened last year's game. I'm trying to recall what was the situation last year's game. Wasn't it something? Remote? Oh yeah, it was the uh, the one of the few losses. That's right, thirty four twenty seven, which was weird because Matt, remember how bad Air Force, or Utah State was last year. <laughs> Anybody Utah State's kind of had their number over the last couple of years. They do, but how inconsistent they were last year. Not great. Um, they have, because I don't, I don't know how, I'm not sure how many they won, but last year it was the running game and Cooper Lagos getting started again this year because he played last year and had 200 yards in the win. Um, having the better quarterback, Cooper Lagos, obviously, of the, of the two teams, the running attack loses Calvin Tyler Jr., which we talked about. They lose a couple of receivers, so Utah State wasn't projected to be very high. They're losing too, I think they're losing too many offensive weapons to keep pace. It was really, you know, last year's result in particular was one of the few times that Air Force really got beat pretty handily on the ground. You know, between Tyler Jr. and the guy, you know, I think they combined yeah. for roughly 180, 190 yards rushing. And, yeah, I think the thing with Utah State is like – you know, even Blake Anderson came out and said himself, like they're sort of the great unknown with so much turnover on their roster. But you know, Lagaz is still there, um, and you know they have a track record of at least developing a little bit of talent on offense. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 sort of hard to predict. Like Utah State is so hard to predict. Yeah, and. I actually, I mean, I had this pegged as a Utah State victory when we talked about it originally. Interesting. You changing? You no, never I'm not. I never oh. change. <laughs> and I think I think the challenge for 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 Air Force Air Force in this game, and I do think it maybe 
for you know their their greater challenge in particular is how well are they going to hold up against strong defenses in this conference? Because I do think that you know Utah State at least has the potential to be a pretty solid defense, you know, across the board. You know, they've got guys in the front seven, front six, like MJ Tafisi, Max Alford, you know, on the back end, they've got like guys like Ike Larson who know how to step up and play the run. So I do think that, you know, matchup wise, you know, as unlikely as it may seem on paper, you know, they, I think their early schedule might be particularly tough because that's where most of the strong defenses are on the schedule. Cause I think, you know, you, you might not see San Jose state either as, as one of the better defenses in the conference, but they were last year. And even despite the fact that they're replacing Cade Hall and Billy Amipahoko on the defensive line, they should be better overall behind them at linebacker and in the secondary, uh, even if they're having to replace a lot of production up front. You know, with, when it, and when it comes to San Diego State and Wyoming, even despite the fact they get both of those games at home, you, know, you kind of know what to expect, you know, performance-wise out of both the Aztecs and the Cowboys. So for as, as promising as I think their non-conference schedule looks offhand, you know, for the first half of, of that conference schedule, I have them going only one and three. Really? What? I've, oh, wait, conference schedule, you said, right? Yeah, Utah State, San Jose State, San Diego State, Wyoming. I only have them beating the Aztecs. That's it? I'm the opposite. I have them yeah. three and one and, and losing to San Diego State. Interesting. I'm not a fan of my San Diego State loss. I, I'll i be like you and not change. But I, I think they'll be Utah State because I think Utah State lost too much. Um, San Jose State, actually, I'm wondering, let me scrape it there. Uh, no, no, excuse me. Apologies. I made a mistake there. My San Jose State is lost. I was looking at it incorrectly. So I'm like, wait, why would I have that? Why do I have that as a loss? I like San Jose State and like what they're doing. So I was double checking my full roster of uh, games in front of me for because I want to match up, obviously, because wins and losses mm-hmm. is equal. So I do have them, sorry, two and two. Um, I do have them beating Wyoming, which I think they'll be one of the most low, low key, not for us, but if people are looking nationally for a game, like that could be a really good game. I think people want to watch. Because it's typically lower scoring, which contrary to people's belief, Matt, on Twitter and otherwise, I do like some defensive football. But also give me a couple touchdowns here and there to mix in. I think that's only fair. But I think mm-hmm. that could be pretty good. You're probably good at defenses for Wyoming. But I think they can pull it off because it's home. Um, the Aztec game, I still, after thinking about it, I probably should change it. But keep it as a loss because maybe Jalen Maiden will get a big game and they'll figure things out for one week. But I have them going two and two in that stretch before they have uh, – before they go to the second half schedule, which features only one true home game, which is ridiculous. Not good. Who made their schedule? Well, that, you know what, though? That's, a, that's okay, because you know they're going to get up for those rivalry games in October. Yeah, they got Navy on the road. CSU on the road, so it's an in-state game. Army in Mile High Denver, so kind of home game, not really a big travel rival. So those ga- like those three games, like, that's a very important stretch if they're going to be like really good this year, I think, for what we, they can be. So when they go to yeah, Navy, and, we, yeah. we, we know what to expect from Navy. Run the ball, not much pass, fullback dive. They're all, they're not, people say, oh, they're the same. They're not because Navy actually has a fullback dive or Air Force. It, it could depend. Air Force will be in shotgun more often. Air Force will actually have two receivers and do a few different things where Navy's just, let's do the bunch formation and try to get yards up the middle a lot of the time. 
them and Army. Kind yeah, of but you know what, though? It's it's a brave new world in Annapolis without Ken Numatololo. That's true. New head coach. You got you got taken out. Who is your head coach? I don't have the left hand. Who took uh, that would be Brian Newberry, who was okay. uh, previously the defensive coordinator. That's right. I knew they promoted from within. So it's a smart move because they run the triple. And what else are they going to do? They're not going to change that. So we know they're going to run that type of offense. And their defense was – well, they had what's um, – oh, who's the guy that – no, that's the Army guy. Sorry, I think of the guy with the NFL. Um, they don't return John Marshall, do they? Isn't he – No, on? he finally graduated. That's what I thought. I'm like, dude, I had like 12 sacks last year. He's, he's a player. But having a defensive coach is unique for Navy because do you think it'll change much? Because the offense will be the same. Like, is he going to be more conservative? Like, they don't throw much as it is. They threw – 126 times last year. Well, I mean, if the offense is the same, I think that that bodes well for Air Force's chances in this game because the offense last year was not particularly good. Yeah, all the time. And but it is it is fair to say that maybe they were a little bit unlucky last year because you losing by seven at home to Delaware to open the season not a great look. But I believe that was one of five one-score losses that they had, including this matchup last year with Air Force. They lost by three to the Falcons. They lost by six on the road at SMU. Lost by three at home to Notre Dame. Lost by three in the rivalry to Army. So, you know, they do have, a, you know, their four, you know, three of their four leading rushers back from last year, including their fullback, Daba Fafana, who had over 800 yards and six touchdowns. But, you know, they're probably breaking in a new quarterback, even though both of last year's main starters, Xavier Arline and Ty Lapitai, are back. They might be turning over the keys to someone new, Tedros Gleaton, who, you know, played pretty well at a spring ball. But it really might be Newberry's background as a defensive coordinator that makes the difference in, in how much the middies can bounce back this year. Because you mentioned Marshall. Marshall is gone, but they do bring back their linebacker, Colin Ramos, who had 79 tackles and four sacks last year. They also bring back free safety Rayon Lane, who had 71 tackles and four pass breakups. You know, they got guys like Jacob Busick, Clay, Clay Cromwell up front. So like they've got a lot of experience back on both sides of the ball. And you know, we could talk about like series history, we could talk about numbers all we want, but you know, everybody who's watched this game closely over the over the years knows that you can sort of throw a lot of that out because it's going to be a slobber knocker one way or the other. Yeah. But but I'm if watching. I'm a Falcons fan, you know, looking at their roster, looking at Navy's roster this year, I'm expecting the Falcons to come up come out on top in another defensive fist fight. So I had this one as an Air Force win. I do as well. Um, I think they'll beat Army in the same fashion. Because it's kind of at home. Wasn't this game played at the Texas Rangers Stadium last year for some reason? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I, it's just always hilarious. But it's at Denver, so it's not really a road game. It's like half an hour, an hour down the road there. But we look at we look at the Black Knights. So it's there's no different. And we'll get to the other game I skipped over here. So we'll keep up the rivals here. We know what to expect from them. Like similar things, running the ball. Run option. They do quarterback draw, like quarterback sneak, fullback dive, a lot of the, those type of things. So it's not going to be anything they're oh, what they're what they're missing or what anything different. They, they're mirror teams. They hate each other. Um, it all comes down to can they stop 
<laughs> the dink fullback dive. They stopped Tyson Riley, who was okay last well, year. Can I can I add something there? What I miss? Well, I miss it's something. not. I mean, in terms of the Army's offense, it's not actually business as usual. What are they doing? What what I miss? Or what I forget in my research? They're overhauling the offense. Is what they're doing. Oh, I must have. That's a big miss. Apologies. What are they doing there? They're going run and shoot now. <laughs> not quite. You know the, the way that Phil Steele described it is you know shotgun zone read offense. So they pulled the New Mexico from under Bob Davey, maybe something like that. The and you know, so they brought so they brought in a new offensive coordinator, Drew Thatcher, to be able to do that. Came in from the Division Two ranks. You know, coached at uh, Nebraska Kearney had a player of the year last year who combined for a 2,500 total yards of offense in 11 games, uh, averaged 33 points a game over 400 yards per game. Um, they scored 80% of the time in the red zone. So like he's got a little bit of a track record behind him and you know, like Navy army also has a ton of experience coming back, but it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how those pieces who, you know, were pretty, you know, they, they weren't quite as efficient as Air Force was, but they weren't, you know, necessarily bad per se. You know, so you mentioned, you know, Jacoby Buchanan, Tyrell Robinson, you know, Tyson Riley, all, you know, they have a lot of production from their running backs back for 2023, but it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how they deploy all those guys, because I don't think it's likely that as many players are going to get as many touches as we've been accustomed to seeing. And they're also breaking in a new quarterback, probably. Probably. With the, you know, you know, with the, you know, I, I think all three of the players who threw at least, you know, 10, 20 passes for them having graduated from last year. So definitely a new quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, you know, they also have to replace a number of, of, players on defense as well. I think the big name that they have to replace is Andre Carter, you know, who's, you know, trying to establish an NFL career for himself. But, you know, like the midshipmen, they also have, you know, some talent back, you know, Leo Lowen anchored in the middle. He had a hundred tackles last year. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, you know, one of the questions that we got from our followers was, do I think that Air Force is going to win the commander in chief's trophy? My answer is yes. I think they're going to be both Navy and army again this year. I do too, because with Army, if they're making that making the offensive switch you mentioned, how smart are they going to do? Are they going to go full on Rich Rod at Michigan, where they like we're doing our off my offense no matter what who we have, or Brady Hoke at San Diego State twice, where slowly transition into use what we had before to slowly get to what I want in a couple of years. So if they go full on, what he what what the vision is or what the new coordinator from Nebraska Kearney can do. Or wants to do that might be a problem, but I suspect them still run a lot and be somewhat familiar to last year, but probably throw a little bit more. If they if they stick to more, they kind of uh, do what they do best and slowly integrate the offense. It'll be better, but if they don't, it'll be a blowout. And regardless, Air, Air Force is winning. So, oh, I would I would you know what though I would caution against saying it's going to be a blowout because much like the game with Navy, it's almost never a blowout. I want a blowout, so I'm wishing for a blowout this year. Blowout in this game. That, that's fair. It's 17 points. Is that is that okay for and, and and I will points? add, I, I mean I, I will add that the last five games between the Air Force and Army have been decided by seven points or fewer. So I'm wrong. That's okay. Let's move on. We'll no. we'll we'll see. You may not be. You know there. <laughs> we'll, be, well, okay. To that point, 
um, the, the previous like nine games or something like that before were all decided by at least 14 points or excuse me, 10 points. So you may be onto something. It swings back and forth. Oh, okay, let's go back to the Colorado State game. We go to the CSU game. This will be Clay Millen throwing the ball, Norville trying to get the uh, have we, have we named the offense out in Fort Collins? This is it like Fort Air Raid or what are they calling it there? I forget. Is there a name for it yet? That's what they were calling it last year. I don't know if they've updated the name or not. Hmm. Let's let's work on that, folks. Let's find out what it is. But this we'll will be again, yeah, two a little contrasting style. It's it is on the road. I just I like Norvell. The, at this point, the reason I'm struggling to choose this game is because it's it's the same part, the part of the season where they should know who they are after week week eight or nine. And for how much we think CSU could be pretty good, maybe make a bowl bowl game. I just don't think they can handle this pound the just what they're gonna be facing on the running on the ground attack. And we mentioned how good the secondaries for Air Force, the safeties at least. That'll pose the threat to Tory Horton potentially. But I just don't think CSU can get it done. I don't trust them enough to be the team that's Air Force has been good forever. CSU is not. And that I think that's a th- real thing when you talk about confidence and who can win. And if your team always wins, not necessarily against your opponent, but we talk about Calhoun's like, oh, 10 wins is great. Maybe 11. We could be better for what they do. I trust a more experienced coach and the more experienced offense, which is going to be Air Force and John Lee Eldridge running the ball all over. Well, I mean, I personally, I think this stretch is, is the most likely stretch where Air Force's strength on defense is going to be most evident. You know, considering the questions yeah. that I personally still have about, about the Rams offensive line, Definitely. You know, that, I think, is going to be a major factor in that game. That's sort of what I'm projecting, which is why I think Air Force is going to win that game. But I do think and it's then, also true of the two games after that at Hawaii, home versus UNLV. I do think Air Force is going to win both of those as well. I do as well. Even though traveling to Hawaii is tough, Hawaii just, they're not there yet. And we already talked about them last year. The running shoot offense, that might actually play in the Air Force hand with all the good players having secondary, despite the quarterback speed, and as we mentioned, TBD kind of for success-wise. But if they have three to four guys back there who are really good, that can mitigate that. Um, they do have the quarterback situation. Ray Braden Schrager could have a big game against them. But I just think time and possession will just kind of kill them because Hawaii's defense, not very good. Work in progress. Yeah, it's a work in progress under Timmy Chang. And so that's... When UNLV, they're at home, that's going to be a win. Even though how much we both really like Doug Brumfield and what we think that Brendan Barron can do offensively, UNLV's just, they're not going to be able to compete with this team. And we talked mm-hmm. about the Rebels in our show, so check that out for more details on why. But again, trust is a big thing for me. When your team's good and disciplined as Air Force is, they're going to win. But the final game of the year at Boise State, I don't, it'll be close, but I don't think they're going to get it done. This game's typically reasonably close throughout the past five or so years, but boy, she's been on the winning end more often than not. Yeah. The the air force won this game two years ago and you could make a case. They let it slip away from them last year. Yeah. They're all, like I said, yeah, they're all, well, I forget what exactly happened last. I know it was close. I'm trying to recall. I don't can't think of the top of my head of what it was. If memory serves, Boise just rallied late and then they were able to make a defensive stand to you know, keep Air Force from driving down the field. And I think they stopped them like right outside the red zone on the final drive, if memory serves. It was okay. the uh, Ezekiel Noah pass breakup. Oh, that's right. Okay, yes, okay. But yeah, but these ga- this game will be close. Um, 
And I think what will come against them is because I mentioned the road. The only home game they have is UNLV. So they'll be traveling every week and including that one, the final week. Boise has Utah State the week before. They're traveling from Logan, whatever. It's just a one-week road game, not a big deal. But for what we think Boise can be, who's getting the most points in the uh, coach's poll at the moment, preseason-wise, the better quarterback they'll have, yeah, the better running back duo, Overall talent wise, Boise is going to trump Air Force. I I just think it'll be similar to what's been passed. It'll be a game where oh, it's kind of close to halftime and then Boise will pull away a little bit, something along those lines where it might be a 30 to 20 game, but Boise will kind of get something at the end because that's how these games have kind of gone the past couple of years. You know what? It wouldn't shock me if it was low scoring in the same way that it was last year, you know, because it was one of the few times that Boise State really got stymied on the ground. After after making that switch, that they did to Taylor Green. So yeah, on paper, obviously the quarterback situation for the Broncos is much more settled, and and their ground game with with George Halani and Ashton Jinty, much more settled. But the Falcons put the clamps on those. You know, Halani didn't play in this game last year. That's important to remember. Mm-hmm. But he that's put the clamp. They put the clamps on Green for the most part, at least as a runner, uh, and on Jinty as well. Yeah, if they do that. So I do think clearly... I do think it's more of a strength on strength scenario than anything. But I'm I am sort of with you in, in taking the long view that you know, given the questions that the Falcons have at quarterback, and given what we've seen from Taylor and Green, I think it's definitely going to be competitive yet again. But I do have Boise State winning that one as well. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll they'll win as well. Being at home is a big deal as well, so that's um, a consideration to look at. So. Yeah, that puts me with Air Force at nine and three overall, with two with three conference losses. Yeah, I have them at eight and four and four and four overall in conference. Interesting, but most people have them second place, which seems like we may we we may not be trending that direction for them. I mean, not me personally, and I think you know, part of it is is hedging. You know, obviously the 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 quarterback fullback dynamic gets most of the attention, and rightfully so. But to me, you know, if if you had asked me this question back in like February, I probably wouldn't have had a problem putting them a little bit closer to the top of the standings. To me, I think the major difference is that they they've slowly trickled out just a little bit of talent at a time here and there on defense. Mm-hmm. So there, there's just enough graduations, just enough departures of other kinds that I don't think it's a lock that they're going to be as good on that side of the ball again in, in 2023. And if they fall off just a little bit against you know some of the some of the offenses that they have on their you know on their schedule and in conference play in particular, that's one avenue that could keep them you know just outside you know, looking in yet again, but it could just as easily be that they resolve all their problems. And with the, a relatively comfortable schedule um, that they, you know, that they roll, they win through 10 games and they, you know, either travel to or even host the conference championship game. So I do expect them to be in the mix. I might just be hedging a little bit because I'm not, I, I'm a little more uncertain about the defense in particular than I was earlier in the off season. Yeah, I am. If I'm going to look, I agree, because my loss is San Jose State, San Diego State, they could easily win those, I think. 
when you mentioned hedge on defense, I think offense, that could be the same thing as well, where there could be some inconsistency with the new quarterback and depth at running back not there. Mm-hmm. So that could be something, like we mentioned earlier, like, oh, the little when to toss, when to pitch, when to keep, those type of things could come into play, yeah. and those lead to fumbles. Those could lead to inexperience of knowing when to get rid of the ball or when to keep it. So that's where I think they will have a hiccup here there because of that inexperience. But still, 9-3, and three, and I'm looking at my record-wise overall, them sitting at with three conference losses could get them into the title game for my projections. We shall so see. Not as long, we will see. So this wraps up our Air Force preview. Check us out, mwr.com. All of our podcast previews, reference the news pop up. It's it's watch list season. We're getting those out there as well. And we now have, Matt, two more previews to go before we're into our giant preview week zero stuff and football's here. Actual games in a couple weeks. So Stay tuned for that, and we'll be back uh, to preview the next team. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't know it offhand, but we have Fresno and Nevada next. So it's one of those two. 